0: Trump is running a race against expectations. He can lose if his winning margin is less than what the polls have predicted. So if he doesn't have a 30-point winning margin but comes in at a 20-point winning margin, that could be framed as a loss because he didn't do as well as what he was expected to do. Very much the horse race in this campaign is for number two.
1: Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara ang Whaley. And I'm Kyle Kondik. Joining us for this conversation is Dr. Karen Kodrowski. She is the director of the Carrie Chapman Cat Center for Women in Politics at Iowa State University. And you can probably guess why we have her on. Hi, Karen. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for for taking the time to be with us. We know there is a flurry of activities and, and snow in, in Iowa at this moment. Um, but we're, we're so grateful for you to take the time to talk with us about the caucus, which will occur, the Republican caucus, which will occur on Monday, January 15th at 7 p.m., For folks who don't know how the Iowa caucuses work, I wonder if you can just give us a brief explainer and describe for us what exactly it's like in Iowa this week.
0: So a caucus, the the term caucus actually comes from an Algonquin uh, word that means meeting, and that is a pretty good uh, description of what happens. So at the precinct level, uh, friends and neighbors will gather to talk about politics and who they support as a presidential candidate. Uh, On the Democratic side, uh, in previous years, that has involved like literally getting up and walking to a different section of the room to show who it is that you support for president. This year, they're doing a presidential preference card, uh, which will be mailed back essentially like an absentee ballot to the Iowa Democratic Party. On the Republican side, uh, what they do is they have uh, surrogates or representatives of campaigns who will stand up and make a statement about why you should support candidate X, and then they fill out paper ballots that are then counted and uh, at the precinct level. So they'll know who won won that precinct by having the most report uh, most support from the Republicans who attended, and then those will be reported into the um, to the Republican party office in des moines and eventually will make their way into international media uh so that's what's going on um so right now not only are we coping with snow and record cold uh we are also experiencing flurries of presidential candidates and surrogates uh so for example uh you know, Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, Ron DeSantis have both done what's called a full Grassley, which means that they have can- campaigned in all 99 counties in Iowa, which is something that uh, Senator Chuck Grassley does every single year. Actually, he visits all 99 counties, which is uh, a-, a pretty enormous task. Um, And we're also getting a lot of door knockers and pieces of literature. In a typical day, I'll go to the mailbox and there will be three or four pieces of literature from uh, different candidates. And you cannot turn on broadcast television or watch Hulu (laughs) without seeing um, one campaign ad after another uh, from the candidates and their campaigns, as well as some super PACs. So there's a, a lot you know, of, of activity and certainly a lot of uh, noise and messaging out there uh, as well. So it's a busy time for us. You mentioned <laughs> that
2: the democratic process is obviously different this time. And, you know, you can almost look at it as though like 2020 was sort of almost like the end of an era in that, you know, for, for several decades, you had Iowa as really the first contest on both sides. And now that's really not going to be the case going forward here, like what, you know, what's your sense of the reaction among Iowa Democrats, certainly between, you know, New Hampshire, Democrats are pretty upset about what happened and, and, you know, fighting the national party on it. Um, you know, what do you, how do you think Iowa Democrats have been responding to what's happened?
0: Well, um, the, the national media narrative about what's going on with the Iowa Democrats is that they capitulate. Um, if you talk to, um, the Iowa democratic party leadership, they would say that that's not the case. Uh, because the Democrats are also meeting at 7 p.m. on January 15th. And they will be doing all of the other things that happens at a precinct caucus meeting. They'll be talking about the platform. They will be talking about the um, electing local leaders. They'll be choosing delegates to the state conventions, which will eventually lead to delegate selection to the national convention. So they'll be doing everything except uh Expo- you know, except putting in a preference for the presidential race. But of course, the Democratic race is not meaningfully contested this year, right? You know, there are there is Dean Phillips and there's Marianne Williamson, but neither one of them is spending any time in the state, which is a little bit surprising to me because Marianne Williamson spent a lot of time in Iowa four years ago. And Dean Phillips is from Minnesota, which by Midwestern standards is next door. Uh, but no, they're they're putting um, all their efforts into um, into New Hampshire. Um, I think that we're going to be continuing to have this conversation in 2028 uh, for several reasons. Number one, uh, Joe Biden will not be the incumbent, so it will be a contested race on the Democratic side. Number two, uh, Iowa has a state law just like New Hampshire that says that its caucus will be held at least eight days before the next contest in the country. Um, And it also has a state law that says that these caucuses will be face to face. So I think that the Democratic leadership in Iowa will be arguing vociferously again um, to the National Democratic Party uh, that they should stay at the forefront or return to the forefront of the races um, of the all of the primary season um, in 2020.
1: Karen, uh, you you mentioned the the high level of activity that's taking place in Iowa. I wonder if you could give us a sense of what the Trump campaign's ground game looks like.
0: Um, it is principally. Uh, uh, an airwaves campaign. So they do hold these large rallies, but the purpose of these large rallies is especially to garner, uh, media attention within the key media markets. Um, and, uh, it, it's not the retail politics that sort of characterizes Iowa and New Hampshire, where people are going to little bars and, and diners and meeting face to face with, with, um, you know, with potential voters, that's that's not what the Trump campaign is doing. So they're more organized than what they were eight years ago. Uh, but it is not the typical kind of campaign that we see in Iowa.
2: Ron DeSantis has really staked basically his entire campaign on doing well in Iowa. We've seen that in the polls, you know, Nikki Haley has been doing better in New Hampshire, for instance. And there's some thought that if DeSantis doesn't, you know, finish in the top two, at least in in Iowa, this campaign might be over. Um, you know, is he running a more traditional Iowa campaign? It seems like, you know, again, maybe there's more kind of a grassroots uh, emphasis and, you know, money put into door knockers and that sort of thing in, in uh, you know, Iowa. Yeah,
0: I definitely, for sure. Um, we've, you know, we've, we've seen a number of door knockers come through my neighborhood on the DeSantis campaign. And he was the first one who visited all 99 counties since then by background. Ramaswamy has done it as well. In fact, Ramaswamy claims that he has done a double Grassley; (laughs) that has gone to all 99 counties twice. Um, And uh, so, so, but we're also seeing a huge amount of uh, Desantis ads on the airwaves, and increasingly negative ads. So there's a few of them that are sort of the classic biographical ad you know, with uh, the pictures of DeSantis from different parts of his life, followed by, you know, uh, a tearful um, endorsement from his wife. Uh, Those are running pretty regularly. But then we also see definitely a lot more attack ads specifically at Nikki Haley. So if DeSantis does not, you know, it's pretty clear that DeSantis and his backers see Nikki Haley as the candidate to beat. I mean, it's pretty clear from the
1: national, the national averages of polls, which, you know, really there's, there was a flurry of polls in December, but we really haven't seen much since then. Just, just a quick note on that. But Mm -hmm. uh, the former president, Donald Trump, is, is leading by 30 plus points in, in most polls by 37 percentage points, according to the Iowa state poll that was done in uh, mid-December of 2023. Um you know, and and we're starting to see this kind of shake up to be a a race for for second place. um you know i I wonder what it what you've heard about um you know, caucus goers for for trump and and sort of you know, is this really it's oh, Iowa's been characterized as you know a a very pro-trump republican electorate. is is that your sense as well? and you know what it, should yeah. we, we try- wing going on to the next, uh, primaries. Yeah.
0: No, that, that's a, Yeah, uh, I, I think there's a couple of things going on. Number one is that Trump is, I think, um, a, a solid front runner. And you hear that both anecdotally, but you've seen it in just poll after poll after poll. But given that these polls have not come out that recently, if there's any last minute shifts, they wouldn't be captured by these polls. Um, however, Trump is also running a race against expectations. So he can lose by winning, right? He can lose if his winning margin is less than what the Bulls have predicted. So if he doesn't have a 30-point winning margin but comes in at a 20-point winning margin, that could be framed as a loss because he didn't do as well as what he was expected to do. So he has, you know, a certain amount of pressure to maintain um, that lead and that magnitude of a lead. And the same thing goes with DeSantis, I think, and Haley. Um, If they do not perform as well as expected, and if DeSantis does not edge out Haley as expected, that they could be framed as having lost, even if they came in with a, a fairly respectable, you know, outcome. And I think, too, that we cannot discount the weather. Um, not only are we coping with in upwards of a foot of snow right now, but two more storms are predicted between now and caucus day on Monday. And then it is also supposed to be bitterly cold on Monday night. Uh, we're, I mean, we're talking like highs of seven degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> uh, so the lows are going to be considerably less than a little wind chill. I think that could be a detriment, especially in rural areas where if there are high winds, you're drifting over, you know, rural country roads. Uh, people might not feel that it is safe to go out in those kinds of weather conditions. I don't think it'll impact uh, urban areas as much, but of course, urban areas in Iowa, just like the rest of the country, tend to be more democratic than are the rural strongholds. Mm. So that's, that's sort of a variable that's hard to predict. You know, who is it that's more likely to stay home if the weather is as dreadful as currently predicted? And I've seen to your
1: point about the urban centers, I've seen some reporting that Nikki Haley is really starting to go after some Democrats and more moderate voters to come out to the Republican caucuses on Monday night.
0: Yes, especially since the Democrats aren't having uh, a competing caucus of the same nature, right? Uh, so the way that this works is that there is voter registration by party in Iowa. So you can, uh, register as a Democrat, a Republican, or as no party. That's the, the phrase that you'll see. Um, but people can re-register for as a Republican on the night that they show up at the caucus. So the forms are there. There's, there's no pre-registration period. So yes, Democrats, and independents can, in fact, go to the caucuses on caucus night. And I've talked to some Democrats who are thinking about doing this so that they can caucus on behalf of someone who is not named Donald Trump, whoever that might be. And, um, and in terms of the you know urban areas, uh, they also have a higher educational demographic. And it's pretty clear that Nikki Haley is appealing to college-educated uh, voters on the Republican side so that that could be a strategy for her again to be able to close those gaps will she overcome them no but certainly she could do again better than expected right so you're not only running against other people but you're also running against you know sort of the the um, expectations in the overall campaign narrative
2: as people are watching uh you know on, on Monday night there are there any like places in the state that you're like particularly curious about? I mean, I guess we were, we're sort of talking about some of them, some of the big urban areas, which hypothetically might be less pro-Trump than some of the rural areas, but any, any, any places you're particularly interested in?
0: Yeah, I think that really, uh, the, the strong, the, the Republican strongholds are in the Western p-
2: uh, part of the
0: state, um, with the main, um, Population centers there being Council Bluffs, which is across the Missouri River from Omaha, Nebraska, and also uh, Sioux City, which is, uh, you know, in what they call Siouxland, uh, which is along the Sioux River and the Missouri River in the Northwest Quarter. So there is where you're going to be able to see that, you know, how well they're doing amongst sort of the rank and file Republicans, the coalition of sort of working class whites as well as um, a lot of agricultural interests. This would be farmers as well as agribusiness and food production. Um, On the eastern side of the state, I would be looking towards the southeast corner, uh, near the the Missouri and Illinois borders. There you see um, that there's a lot of manufacturing. And uh, those, uh, you know, that sort of blue collar labor vote has been tending towards Republicans in Iowa and nationally. And so they're being able to see how well Trump um, does within that demographic, or if they look elsewhere, that would be important. Um, Statewide, um, evangelicals are about uh, 20% of the Iowa population, and they are overwhelmingly. Republican, and they are also very well organized. And uh, and so efforts to be able to pull out the evangelical vote um, have been very successful for people like Pat Robertson and Ted Cruz and Rick Santorum in the past, and that's how they have been able to win or come in second um, in sort of surprise victories in Iowa in the past. Right now, the evangelical vote is really lined up behind Donald Trump. Um, and if the weather is not too much of a uh, of a hindrance, um, I think we could expect that Donald Trump would be able to get the, um, the evangelical support in the caucuses this year.
1: Kyle, I know we're going to have a new analysis out on the crystal ball on Thursday, uh, January 11th this week as well. How does that sort of comport with the analysis in terms of counties that you all are looking at.
2: Yeah. Carrie mentioned, uh, like the Northwest corner of the state as being like, you know, very strongly rank and file Republican and also fairly strongly evangelical. And, you know, if you go back like a quarter century is a kind of ancient history at this point, but you know, Gary Bauer, famous kind of Christian conservative, yeah. um, you know, he didn't do very well statewide against George H or George W. Bush and, and many others in that caucus, but he did win, I think three of those four counties in the Northwest corner, which we, uh. Um, which we're going to point okay. out in our, in our preview. And so, um, that's going to be interesting, you know, testing ground, like because, because Trump did not do particularly well in that part of the state in 2016. Um, Ted Cruz did, did well, but, um, it's been a real change, I think, in, in evangelical, you know, conservative Christians being much more open to Trump now than, than when he was a candidate, you know, early on in 2016. Yeah,
0: exactly. I think you're exactly right about that. Karen, you
1: mentioned this earlier, but you know, the markets have really been flooded according to ad impact. There's been historic spending by um, candidates and supporters of candidates. Um, in Iowa markets this year. It's up to over one hundred and twenty one million as we're recording this on uh, January tenth. Um, I, I wonder you you alluded to um, you alluded to Governor DeSantis's uh, campaign becoming increasingly negative. What other messages are you tracking or or seeing in, in the ads from yeah, different well,
0: candidates? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, so DeSantis has really been going after Nikki Haley. Um, and one of the ads that has come out quotes her multiple times saying that Hillary Clinton was her inspiration to run for office. Um, and the, the problem is, is that it lacks the context where Haley then goes on to say, I don't agree with Clinton. But, you know, her message about women running for office was important. Um, and, uh, and so it, it really then tries to p- draw parallels between her and, um, and Hillary Clinton in, in what is really quite an inaccurate way. Uh, what is less, I think, uh, less of a stretch has been an ad that DeSantis has had out where he criticizes both Nikki Haley and President Trump for being supportive of um, trans the trans population, and arguing that um, you know that they that they're supportive of essentially mutilation of young girls or young boys to um, to have sex reassignment surgery, uh, and so again there are sort of you know outtakes of. of DeSantis making very strong statements about standing up for young girls and supporting women's athletics and then comparing that to um, statements that seem to be more equivocal. And then also China keeps coming up Um, and again, attacking Nikki Haley for saying welcoming things about uh, Chinese companies that were settling and starting business in South Carolina when she was governor and arguing that then she's going to be soft on China uh, as as president of the United States. Uh, One thing that I will say about the Haley campaign is that she is leaning into her daughter of immigrants, um, her identity as a woman of color, and her identity as a female in ways that I did not see when I was her constituent living in South Carolina when she was governor. Um, There, she was subjected to very sexist attacks um, and was called, and I quote, a raghead by a member of the state legislature. Uh, So, you know, a very clearly racist statement um, as well. And she really kind of ignored that. She did not play up that uh, she is Indian American or that her parents were immigrants or that, you know, she She didn't talk about her high heels being ammunition like she is now. So she is um, sort of uh, really kind of leaning into that difference. And even with, you know, the clothing that she wears on the campaign uh, trail or uh, in debates, I think really enhance her femininity. I think is using that as kind of a subtle message to really draw a difference between herself and all of the other white guys that are in the race, with the exception of Jim who's no longer in the race, or Vivek Ramaswamy.
2: You know, just one sort of longer term question just about Iowa. You know, Iowa used to be within the ranks of the, the key swing states in the in the country and now is sort of trended, you know, more clearly toward being a Republican leaning state. Um what you know where, uh-huh. do you, where do you see Iowa in a in a general election sense right now I mean you think there's any big yeah, for democrats think, or
0: Yeah I think that Iowa will um uh, remain republican in this presidential election and unless there are some um significant uh demographic shifts in a very short period of time I think that that'll be the case um for several presidential elections into the future However, Iowa is going through the same kind of demographic changes that the rest of the country is going through. Uh, You know, we have an increasing uh, concentration of population in urban areas. We have fewer and fewer um, individuals that are um, employed in agriculture or in agribusiness. And in fact, banking and insurance and manufacturing are are major presences, um, you know, in uh, in, in the state. And the small towns um, outside of, you know, the sort of Cedar, uh, Cedar Rapids and Des Moines and Council Bluffs metro areas, the, the small towns that are thriving are those who have welcomed uh, immigrants, especially from Latin America. And, you know, we have a community college that's very close to being designated as a Hispanic-serving institution. We have high schools that have mariachi bands. Uh, So, you know, Iowa is becoming, uh, you know, much more diverse than what its reputation is. And I think that um, over time, it will follow the same demographic changes with the political ramifications of those demographic changes that we're seeing in the rest of the country.
1: So one, one final question. Uh, there will be a debate between Ron, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley this evening. Um, of course, notably missing will be the former president, Donald Trump, uh, which is the case for all of the GOP primary debates. This debate is a little bit different um, because it's being hosted directly by CNN and the RNC rules um, necessarily yeah. apply. But um, you know, I wonder if you think that, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this before we've even seen the debate, so this is a little uh, <laughs> um, pre-commenting, but do you think this debate will have any any impact? Oh, I think
0: that's a great question. Again, very much the horse race um, yeah, this campaign is for number two. So, I think it will be important that way. And I actually think that Donald Trump has done the country a favor by not participating in these debates. We know what debates with Donald Trump look like. Um, and they are chaotic, and he talks over other people and they're not focused on the issues, and we end up discussing sizes of hands or other body parts. And, you know, it's it's just a mess. Whereas I really think that these um, these debates, even if they happen raucous at times, um, have served the function of debates, which is to educate the public. Um, and I think we're going to see DeSantis really trying to, um, undermine Haley's momentum, uh, by poking holes in her record and raising questions about what he sees are weaknesses. And I think that Haley is very good about not letting herself be put on the defensive. But to also show that she is, you know, uh, understands a lot of nuance about policy. I think one of the real gifts that she brings to the debate stage is that within 90 seconds or 30 seconds, she is able to communicate uh, fairly complex ideas that are very coherently put together about a whole variety of policy issues. And she doesn't depend on what one-liners about, you know, Dick Cheney on heels or, you know, having coffee at the U.N. She she talks about policy. Um, and I, I um, think she's actually a very strong debate performer as a result.
1: Well, Dr. Karen Kudrowski, director of the Carrie Chapman Cat Center for Women in Politics at Iowa State University. Thank you so much for joining us on Politics as Everything.
0: Oh, always a pleasure. Thank you so
1: much for having me. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics Is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Whitley. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media center number four politics we welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes thanks so much for tuning in until next time
0: this podcast is part of the democracy group